Welcome to Indie Matters, the show from the Nevada Independent. I'm your host, Joey Lovato, up here in Reno. And I'm reporter and producer Jacob Solis down in Las Vegas. On this week's episode, I'm joined by Colin West, the founder of Clean Up the Lake, an organization that is beautifying Lake Tahoe by diving in and pulling out trash. Their mission to clean up 72 miles of shoreline is almost complete. Afterward, we have a story on a complicated land tug-of-war involving the Fallon Paiute Shoshone tribe's quest to preserve ancestral land amid development efforts. At the end of the show, reporter Howard Stutz talks about a busy week in Las Vegas as the Palms Casino Resort reopens and the NFL Draft came to town. Two volunteers over there, and then if a few other volunteers want to work on bagging up the litter, like little items in the bags. That was Colin West, the founder and executive director of Clean Up the Lake, a nonprofit that's goal is to lessen the burden of trash and pollution in waterways in and around the northern Nevada and northern California regions. They have been trying to clean up 72 miles of shoreline in Tahoe over the past year, and are nearing the end of the goal. To start, I asked Colin what the catalyst that led to this nonprofit was. I started doing beach cleanups at home in Tahoe just to be involved in my own backyard. And we were pulling out like 40 pounds of trash off the beach in Kings Beach. And the same very day, a friend of mine had done a scuba cleanup and they pulled out 600 pounds from this tiny little cove of Tahoe. So I was blown away. I dove in quite literally and figuratively exploring and researching the submerged litter issue in Tahoe. And every dive we took, we just came back with more litter and realized it was a problem and and set out to do more work. Um, Steve, you're in the sit-in kayak, so we'll have you kind of more hover around and just make sure you keep an eye on divers. If free divers may be popping up with trash, um, if you can, uh, safely grab the trash and kind of bring it to shore. Photographer David Calvert went up with the group to get a few photos and talked with a few people as well. Here's Clean Up the Lake programs manager Sadie Eastler talking about what they pulled out of the lake. We've got solo cups and beer bottles and some really nice dock line, old carpets, um, no trespassing signs, some PVC pipe, um, wood, uh, an old broom. Lots of towels, some buoys, um, some lobster traps. Today I was the surface support um, on on the surface, (laughs) snorkeling slash free diving. So we're essentially following the divers and helping to uh, pull the trash out of the water that they're collecting. And sometimes we see some ourselves um, and diving down there and grabbing that. Um, The conditions today in the water was a little bit silty. So when you'd see one thing and you'd see another, you'd have to grab them both or you'd lose one of them. So this might um, seem like an obvious question to you, but I think just, you know, why is it important to keep the lake clean? <laughs> no, that's a good question. Why, why bother? Why clean up the lake? I think I'll start with one of the first reasons that I had, and that was after traveling all my life. I've seen so many different areas that are just so far gone. I mean, you see some of the the shots or, or footage of scuba divers going through different bays in Bali or Thailand, and there's just plastic everywhere, and it's disgusting. And I mean, even after the years of experience I have, I'm like, how would we approach remedying that situation? No clue right now. That would take a lot of planning. 
I feel like Tahoe is within the grasp of saving. I feel like we can really fix these mistakes of our past and preserve what we have for future generations. And so I think that is one massive reason that I have personally of getting out there and doing the work to clean up the lake. But also plastics and the plastic pollution and DRI and UC Davis Turk discovering microplastics there. So with our team removing those macroplastics or bigger pieces, we're reducing that microplastics impact or development in the future. Not to mention the aesthetic quality. We come here because we love how beautiful the lake is. We want to clean up the lake everywhere every square inch that we can hit we'd like to do there's also the fact that lake tahoe is such a popular destination i don't want people looking down in the merino and they're getting on their boats and seeing litter and thinking that that's an okay norm let's get that idea out of their head and make sure that they see this beautiful location and they know that we need to protect it and keep it in the same way that they saw first when they jumped on the boat can you describe how the garbage affects like the ecosystems and the animals? I mean, I'm sure you've seen plenty of fish that are dealing with the, the garbage that's in the lake as well, right? Our first employee, Sadie, she and I were out on a dive and this beautiful big rainbow trout swam by in Tahoe. And it swam by and just gobbled up this big piece of plastic and then spit it right out. You know, and we're like, oh my gosh, that was tragic. We want to protect the wildlife and big of an impact and affected that much from the litter uh, here in Tahoe. Also, I've seen some of our catfish and some of the other fish that are literally trapped in some traps and fish traps at like 50, 60 feet. And I mean, there's still algae and there's still water movement going through these traps. And I think some of those fish that we removed live for decades. And so I found myself asking asking myself when I released this fish from a piece of garbage. I was wondering how long it had been there. I wonder if it was stuck in this trap for a decade of its life. So we also wanted to know what it actually looked like when they literally cleaned up the lake. We're typically out on the lake on boats, kayaks, jet skis, uh, with three divers and divers. So we'll have a team of eight divers out here today, which is a, a lot more than we usually have. The dives will last about one hour. When I'm in the water, I'm thinking about, I would say, obviously finding that litter, getting the litter out, but probably most importantly is always just keeping people safe. But luckily with our organization, we have loads of master divers, professional dive masters and instructors that we had out with us today. And they did a great job and everyone cleaned up loads of litter and stayed safe doing it. How, how much are you pulling out right now a, a year? How many pounds or tons or, or truckloads are you pulling out? So last week we did a uh, cleanup to celebrate Clean Up the Lake Day. We did a little cleanup on Tahoe City Marina and we actually pulled out, I think it was 1,050 pounds of litter, just a massive hunk of trash, just small pieces, big pieces, all sorts of things. And we've pulled out like over 1,200 pounds in a day as well and hundreds, if not thousands of pieces of trash. I mean, one day we even pulled out over 950 beer and soda cans or aluminum cans in, in one afternoon. When you're doing that, when you're pulling out that trash, what's, a, what's one of the biggest challenges you're facing in doing all this? <laughs> it's physically challenging at times, but there's, there's a lot of work that goes into the back end. We put some very strong ambitions ahead of doing a 72-mile cleanup in a year, and, and trying to meet that deadline is a bit of a struggle, especially with 17 feet of snow, record-breaking snow in December the Omicron variant coming back at the end and toying with us and making things more difficult. 
as well as the Caldor fire and being forced mm-hmm. to evacuate in the middle of the pandemic. And Lake Tahoe has endless winds and weather challenges that are really hard to overcome as well. April 18th was proclaimed Clean Up the Lake Day in Tahoe. Here's Colin talking to photographer David Calvert about that. So today we are celebrating Clean Up the Lake Day. Governor Sisolak of Nevada proclaimed that the 18th of April 2022 was Clean Up the Lake Day. So we put together this event today working with Alpen Global Capital from Tahoe City and Alex Goot in order to do the biggest impact and the biggest cleanup we could to also celebrate Earth Week and get a bunch of litter out from underneath Tahoe City Marina. What's the most common garbage you see and what's the most damaging? Sure. So I'd say a lot of the common litter that we see when you look at it, say a smaller aspect would be aluminum cans. You see plastic bottles that you see. And then as we get a little bit bigger, we see pieces of boats that have broken up, which tend to be like a typical like fiberglass and poly based piece of litter. And then you see tires, anchors. And I'd say the most damaging is probably those pieces of plastic that are bigger when they go in pieces of boats or other things, as well as tires. Here's Alex Goot, a donor to the Clean Up the Lake effort and also someone who helps out, talking about what it is that makes him want to help support the effort to keep the lake clean. Growing up, I had access to the outdoors and I always felt like, for me, the the quote-unquote free access to the outdoors... um, you know, being able to hike and bike and uh, and recreate, you know, I just always thought it was kind of my uh, <laughs> my ticket was picking up the trash that I found around because I didn't like seeing it when I was there, and uh, hoping that the next people along the way did, got uh, a cleaner environment to, to hike and bike and recreate in. My last question is just what can people do to help keep the lake clean? What's what's like one thing that people can that are listening can like take away from this and, and actionably do to help? I think when a lot of people hear about all the litter that we're pulling out, their first go-to is how could those disgusting people pollute and throw garbage in the lake? And sure, there are those people that do that. But I think a bit more self-reflection is important because I would say the majority of the litter that we pull out of this lake is from human beings being present here over the last 50 to 100 years. And we just have an impact. Accidents happen. Lampposts go in. Pieces of your dock that are made of plastic fall off and go in there. Your towel falls off your boat, your beer cans, your hats, your sunglasses. Accidents happen. Just being at the lake and being present here makes litter eventually appear. And so I think people need to be a bit more aware. They need to be more preventative. Bring bring bags on, plan to dispose of your trash correctly. Use reusables any point in time that you can. And also realize, yeah, from us being here, from us living and enjoying this beautiful area, we have an impact on the lake. So what are you going to do about it? Are you going to get out? Are you going to volunteer and support it? Are you going to donate to organizations like ours and others in the basin to help protect this beautiful slice of the planet that we get to enjoy? I think these are some ideas, but we're all part of the problem. And so I think we all need to be part of the solution. This story was reported by photographer David Calvert and myself, and it was edited by me, Joey Lovato, with additional help from Jackie Valley. If you want to see David's photo story from going up to Lake Tahoe, you can find that on our website, thenevadaindependent.com.
Hi, I'm Katie Foley, the Associate Director of Development here at the Indy. Thanks for listening to Indy Matters. Our programming would not be possible without the support of listeners like you. If you appreciate nonpartisan, unbiased news and information about stories that affect the lives of Nevadans, please consider donating today. When you do, your gift of any amount will be doubled thanks to our friends at the Ingolstead Foundation. Double your support now at thenevadaindependent.com. We now go from protecting the natural beauty of Lake Tahoe to protecting ancestral homelands in rural Nevada. Yeah, that's right. The, the Fallon Paiute Shoshone tribe, they're looking to protect lands that their ancestors used and they were also buried there. From their, It's going to become a bombing range, potentially. Yeah, so the naval air base that's nearby, uh, they want to expand into that land that's currently public land that's managed by the Bureau of Land Management. Yeah, so uh, reporter Jasmine Orozco Rodriguez went out there to learn a little bit more about all of this. Um, this was actually Jasmine's last story with the Indy before she moved on. She's now working as a rural health care reporter for Kaiser Health News. Yeah, our videographer Tim Leonard also accompanied her out there and helped report this story. And you can find his fantastic video on our YouTube or on our website. Yeah, so I'll be narrating this piece uh, in place of Jasmine this week. East of the rural town of Fallon, a town of around 25,000 residents, an area of land is home to the Fallon Paiute Shoshone tribe. The tribe is just over 1,500 members, but only 657 live on the reservation. There's a complicated tug-of-war happening right now. The land in and around the Fallon area was originally the tribe's land over 100 years ago, before American settlers took it over. Now, the land is owned by the federal government and managed by the Bureau of Land Management, the BLM. The tribe has a tiny reservation close to the city of Fallon, and near the mountains, that was once their ancestral land. Now, the Fallon Naval Air Base, also in the area, is looking to expand into the land run by the BLM, land that, while not owned or controlled by the tribe, since it was taken from them, is still important to their culture and heritage, and is public lands that they can access. Their ancestors' remains are there. There are some of the oldest Native American petroglyphs there, and countless other culturally important symbols. They're worried if the naval airbase expands into the area, those cultural symbols will be destroyed by bombing practice, and that they won't be allowed on the land that was once their ancestors. So one thing that they're looking into is protecting the land through a federal program called 30 by 30, which looks to protect U.S. land and water. Okay, I know that was a lot, so just to recap really quick, there is land that was traditionally the tribes before it was taken from them by settlers. It's now public land owned by the federal government and run by the BLM. But the Navy wants that government land run by the BLM for their own expansion of their base. Thus, cutting off access to the land and possibly destroying culturally significant areas to the tribe. This is highly um, traditional area. It's the medicine place. This is a place where you come get healed. That was Rodney Austin, a tribal member who works for the tribe's Land and Water Resources Department. He and other tribal members shared a story of two peaks as told by their ancestors. The peaks were called the Mother and Father in the mountains east of Fallon. They were part of the tribe's creation story, but those peaks are no longer there. Here's Roxanne Downs, the tribe's historical preservation officer. But in 1940, when military started changing their tactics and we were able to use planes, World War II... Those were used as targets. So when you're up in the air and you see those targets destroyed, we'll never have those back again.
As mentioned, the tribe is looking to a federal program called 30 by 30 as one way to protect their ancestral lands. 30 by 30 is a plan from the federal government that aims to preserve 30% of U.S. land and water by 2030. To meet the moment our country faces, the Biden-Harris administration launched America the Beautiful, a decade-long challenge to conserve, connect, and restore 30% of our lands and waters by 2030 for the sake of our economy, our health, and our well-being. Our national parks and national wildlife refuges are invaluable partners in this effort to connect with communities, to expand access to the outdoors, and to develop locally-led conservation efforts. America the Beautiful recognizes that agricultural and forest landowners, anglers and other outdoor enthusiasts, tribal nations, states, territories, local officials, and other important partners and stakeholders all have a role to play in ensuring that we leave a livable planet to future generations. Along with the cultural significance and historical meaning the lands have for the tribe, they also used to use it as a burial ground. It was used to bury their dead for over 10,000 years. Some of the oldest remains in North America were found in the area. Here's Charlene Starlight, a retired teacher who lives on the reservation. 1940, there were some little boys. They found the remains of us, one of our ancestors. That's how it opened up to archaeological discoveries. And that determined the oldest human beings in North America is right here in that the was, Great Basin. That was the spirit ours. man, right? Spirit caveman? Yeah. The tribe feels that their ancestors' remains need to be left alone. Here's Roxanne again. Normally when you put somebody in there, in the ground, you leave them, and you're not supposed to cry too much, because if you cry too much, they won't go because they don't, they're, they won't go where they need to go because they're too worried about you. Because they're going somewhere that's a lot better, and so you want them to go. We never used to go back and visit those places for those reasons. But now we have to, to make sure that they're still there. Because there's been times you come back and you know where people are at and you find grates or things that people have, have taken. And that's a person. The military has recently looked to expand the size of the naval airbase that is close to the tribal lands, arguing it needs more space to effectively train as modern weapon technology advances. The Fallon Range Training Complex is the Navy's premier aviation training range. It is the only location where an entire carrier air wing can train comprehensively. Current aircraft and weapons technologies require a far greater amount of training space than previous technologies required. The tribes are worried that their ancestral grounds could be used as a bombing range. If I came to any city council meeting and said, Arlington Cemetery, we need to put a bombing range right there because we need to compete with China and Russia, everyone would be appalled. And while the Navy says it's working with the tribes, the tribes who have seen their land progressively taken away feel that they are not being respected. The Navy protects cultural resources at the Fallon Range Training Complex 
and manages them in accordance with all applicable federal regulations. Navy personnel work with federal and state agencies and tribes to preserve sensitive resources in the training complex. While the range looks to expand, the tribal land has gotten smaller and smaller over the years. We do have farmlands, but not all of our lands are fertile. A lot of them have high alkali content. They don't have good drainage. And so the lands where we are now, you know, bottom of a a lake bed, they weren't made for farming. And so they give us the scrap lands. They had lands that nobody wanted. There are also protected wildlife in and around these lands. So if you look at Sand Mountain, for instance, they have the Kearney buckwheat, which feeds the Sand Mountain blue butterfly, which only only survives at Sand Mountain. And so as we've been protecting that, Sand Mountain itself is, is a sacred site. So now the tribe is working with a PR firm to reach politicians and try to protect their land. When asked about the situation, Congressman Mark Amaday wrote a statement saying, quote, This is not a great time to ignore the growing vulnerability in an important national security area. I'll continue to work for an opportunity to give the appropriate respect to the cultural resources of the indigenous nations while allowing America's naval aviators and SEALs to train to the highest standard. Clearly, we are not there yet, end quote. And Congressman Catherine Cortez Masto wrote that she's working to bring all stakeholders together to, quote, move forward in a way that incorporates enhanced land protection for the local tribes as part of a mutually agreed legislative solution to the Naval Air Station Fallon's expansion, end quote. Margaret Dyer, the tribal secretary, saw some fences that cut through the desert landscape while walking with reporters. The fences were put up by the Bureau of Land Management, who oversees much of the land owned by the government in Nevada, as well as some of the sacred tribal land. Those are the things that that uh, we we want to be able to share with our, our children and things like that. But as time goes on more and more, there's fences. BLM has some places fenced off or, or like the, the Navy has their area. But it used to be open, and, and, and we'd go as a family, and it was good. We'd sit down, like you said, the, the trees out there. We'd sit down underneath it and have our little picnic, you know, and then, and then go home. That was our way of life, and it was a good life. This story was originally reported by Jasmine Orozco Rodriguez and Tim Leonard. If you want to read the full story and watch a video, you can find that on our website, thenevadaindependent.com. The story was adapted to audio by me, Joey Lovato, with help from Tim Leonard and Jackie Valley. So we've got one native group looking to protect lands, but down in Las Vegas, another group of Native Americans are taking over ownership and management of the Palms, the casino and resort that's in Las Vegas, as it reopens. Yeah, that's right. So our reporter Howard Stutz is going to chat with us about that, as well as the NFL draft, which was in Vegas. All righty. Well, I am here with our reporter Howard Stutz. Howard, you have been a a, a busy bee recently. Uh, how's it going? <laughs> a lot of lot going on in Las Vegas. 
Yeah, so we're going to talk about the NFL draft, but before that, we're also going to talk about the Palms reopening. So for those who aren't aware, the Palms is a casino pretty pretty close to the Strip. And it's 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 got it's famous for a couple of reasons. It had a reality show there and a really cool bar. So it closed a while ago and now it's reopened under new management. So tell me a little bit about that. Thanks for having me on, Jerry. The Palms closed. It was it went through an ownership change several years ago. The original owner, George Maloof, like you said, he 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 got a lot of Hollywood celebrities there. He found some magic to make this off-strip property, small off-strip property, work that attracted both a strip crowd and a locals crowd. So it, he, he somehow made it work. Ran into some financial problems later on, like a lot of a lot of places did post recession, and it was acquired in 2016 by uh, Red Rock Resorts, the parent of Station Casinos. Between the purchase and a renovation, they spent close to a billion dollars on the Palms. One of their big issues was they decided to build a nightclub, aptly named Chaos Nightclub, <laughs> because of the fact that it lost. Probably close to like thirty something million dollars one one quarter. They had high price contracts with various DJs. Cardi B had a contract in there, and they had to end these contracts. And right around that time was when was when the pandemic hit, and the Palms closed in March with every other gaming property in the state because of the pandemic. But Red Rock Resorts, I was one of four properties they didn't reopen. Last year, they sold it for $650 million to the San Manuel Indian tribe. So a little more two years since it closed, it reopened. It looks pretty much the same inside. San Manuel did have the sports book remodeled. It looks much better. A lot of the same restaurants are there. They're going to bring back the Ghost Bar, which is the 55th floor outdoor bar and lounge. Tremendous views of Las Vegas. They wanted to bring that back. This is the first owner-operated tribal casino in Las Vegas. So that's a big deal for the market. They're operating as a commercial entity, not as a tribe. So that's a very different operating format. And it's paved the way. You know, note that the Seminole Florida tribal-owned Hard Rock International is buying the Mirage, that they're going to remodel it as Hard Rock Las Vegas. So this could be the start of maybe some tribal ownership in the Las Vegas gaming market. Yeah. So we're going to shift gears a little bit here from hotels to an event. One of We, I, we talked about events last week on the podcast, um, but kind of you know smaller events. This is a huge event that's happening, which is the, the NFL Draft, which is where at the beginning of every season, each team drafts all of the up and coming players right to their teams it's a fun thing to watch so tell me a little bit about that the nfl draft was used for years was always in new york city and then they decided to move it around to different cities to try to make it more of an event 2019 the nfl brought it to nashville and they closed off broadway and it was by far one of the most popular draft experiences that they've ever had the next year was the plan to bring it to las vegas well the pandemic stopped it and they rescheduled it for 2022 they took about a million square feet behind the link they built a, th- a stage a theater i mean it's like it's remarkable what they built there to get this ready they used the fountains of the bellagio as the red carpet for the players but the fan experience has attracted several hundred thousand people are probably coming through there to see this experience which is more like a big carnival all things football and national football league so it's a big event, and they're drawing people from all over. When you see my story jeff Scheid and i our photographer went out and we talked to a lot of fans in makeup, I mean, we we have the the Mandalorian Viking and the Charger fan that look like a pro wrestler. I mean, it's a it's a real fun atmosphere. So 
we'll see how this how this goes. But no, the comparison is to Nashville. Everybody says Nashville was the the best event that ever, best draft that ever was. So we'll see if if Las Vegas beats Nashville out. That's the big uh, that's the big comparison we'll be waiting for in the post draft weeks to come. What kind of economic driver is this going to be? You look at this year, Joey. We've had we had the NFL Pro Bowl and the NHL All-Star Game all in one weekend. They both attracting sport fans from all over. And the draft is that similar type of experience now. I think the big one will be the Super Bowl in 2024. What does that mean for the city? We already are a city that draws very well for the Super Bowl. I mean, it's everybody's, the joke had always been, if you can't go to the Super Bowl, go to Las Vegas to watch the Super Bowl because of all the parties here and everything. So having the Super Bowl here, what does that mean? And I think that's something we're going to look forward to seeing in 2024. This is just showing that what, what, what the draft has shown and what we've had seen this year in terms of sports, Las Vegas is the place for big events, big sporting events, special events like the draft, like March Madness, like the Pro Bowl, like the All-Star Games. I think we're going to start seeing more of that continue on. We're going to get in some type of rotation where we're going to get these events all the time. All right. Cool. Well, thanks for joining me today and uh, for breaking this all down. Anytime, Joey. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening to this episode of Indie Matters. We'd like to thank Colin West, Rodney Austin, Roxanne Downs, Charlene Starlight, Margaret Dyer, and Howard Stutz for being on the show this week. This show is produced and edited by Joey, with additional editing help from Jackie Valley, Michelle Rendells, and Riley Snyder. If you want to support the show, leave us a rating and review wherever you listen, and email us with questions, comments, concerns, your favorite lemonade recipe, or whatever else is on your mind at joey at com or jacob at com. Our theme song is from the band People With Bodies, and we have additional music from Storyblocks and original music from Joey. Thank you for listening to Indie Matters. I'm your host, Joey Lovato. And I'm reporter and producer Jacob Solis. And we'll talk to you next week. Welcome to Indie Matters. Oh, are we going? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> you you caught me oh. unawares. I don't know. It's a day. It's been a Monday. Here we it go. It is a Monday.